Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery. I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Govan. Great to be here talking, Rob. It's good to see you, Paul, and welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Dental Amigos. Uh, here we are in our Season 2 finale, Paul, uh, Season 2, where we talked about associate agreements from the employer's perspective. And our final episode is the Ask Me Anything segment. Love these episodes. I do, too. And you went out into the uh, the wild world yes. of the Dental Nachos Facebook community, polled some people, yeah. talked to some other people, made some phone calls, shot some texts, looked at some uh, Insta messages. I like it, yeah. Uh, and uh, came up with some, uh, some good questions that practice owners have uh, when it comes to... Uh, Hiring associates, retaining yeah. associates, and some. I think, some Rob, this is where you know. I, I think you've you've surmised this that bonding is something we talk about. That's how the tooth colored material sticks to your tooth. We bond it in with chemicals. You know what bonds? I think attorneys and dentists together. This episode, we like to talk about when things go wrong, when things go sideways. What we have that could in common. go side? Oh, I'm paying attention now. So we asked her, what happens when things go sideways? How do I yeah. prevent things from going wrong? So I think dentists and attorneys are both on that page. I don't know if it's our schooling. I don't know if it's what we have to guard against all the time, but you know that bonds us together. Yeah, that's a, that's what makes us really special people and yeah. fun to hang out with. Yeah, right? Exactly. Uh, maybe that's why you and I get along so yeah. well. Uh, so let's kick it off with uh, a question, which I think, and I think all these questions we sort of talk about a little bit throughout the season, but these are sort of spinoffs, I think, yeah. in some respects. So I think they're all really good. Um, content for for our listeners. So you know, a concern that you have about uh, a dental associate fitting into your practice, and somebody said, you know, how do you trust them to do the dentistry like I do? Yeah. You know, and that's a big thing. You know, I mean, obviously, um, from a clinical standpoint, uh, you need to be able to treat your patients well and feel comfortable uh, that uh, the person that you have hired to do yeah. that is able to do it. So how do you reach that point of trust, Paul. I mean, I'm, I always like to make comparisons as most of our listeners, you know, and I mean, I love basketball, it represents my failed dreams of playing in the NBA. And, uh, you know, now we, where we live, we have a basketball court, so I've been playing a little bit by <laughs> myself. Practice. And, you know, there's layups, there's free throws, there's three-point shots, there's NBA three-point shots. And I think it's really important to recognize that as a practice owner, whether you've been doing it for eight years, 18 years, you know, you are the basketball player playing on your court, you know, your court, you know, the shots you can make. And now you got to go back and help someone make a layup 10 times in a row. So right. get them layup procedures, whether, you know, just use some dental talk, whether those are simple restorations like class one composites, whether they're really straightforward crowns that are easy to access. I think one is to get the trust factor up with a new associate is to watch them do the layups of dentistry and then be there to correct them or and you know give them feedback. I think too often, Rob, and you may even hear this when you talk to some people on both sides, it's like 
oh, I'd like to hire an associate to do kind of the three-point shots I don't want to do. And I yeah. go, well, first, they're hard to make, one. Right, right. And two, one of the reasons why you don't want to do the endo or things like that is because it's difficult. So I think to get to trust your associate to do it like you do is one, role model it, create systems and checklists, and then be there to support them. And the thing that the message I have, and I know you have the same thing as a business owner, is that takes time right. out of your day. That takes mental bandwidth. And I think it's key as a practice owner to be committed to that investment of time, really, when you're onboarding someone. Yeah, and I think that that's a key point. And I think a lot of people miss that. And they think that if you hire... Uh, an associate, that means that you have more free time. Right. That just, that is a fallacy of, of all fallacies. I just right? did this. It's going to increase, it, it increases your stress for six months to decrease it for six years. So I think it's a good way to think about it. Six months, Rob, is the site first cycle of every hygiene patient who yeah. come in regularly. They get to meet the new associate. So you got to think for that first six months, I am invested five, 10 extra hours a week in onboarding. Then after that time, you're there to support. But I don't think a lot of dentists who, you know, are running at a million miles an hour or to use your sometimes they feel like their whole head is on fire yeah, they need yeah. to find time to do that so i think yeah. that's key yeah and i think uh and, and that's that's that is key and I, I think you have to have realistic expectations with this as we talk about going into it and as you sort of doing the sports metaphor and the yeah. basketball metaphor like you said layups you know lead to uh free throws lead yeah. to three pointers but you know, you still you do need to be in the gym you yeah. know and and that means that you may want to work less or fewer days but at least in the short term you're going to need to be around you right. know to to mentor that person to watch to make sure that they are right able to deliver services in a way that is consistent with your your high standards but you know i think a lot of this too paul it depends on who you hire right you know i mean i think uh, obviously if you're talking about hiring a recent grad that's very different than if for you've sure. hired somebody who's been practicing for seven years and they're going to require a different level of supervision and mentorship it's such a good point in that you know was another question on our list and i was now i use the you know, restaurant example is that, you know, sometimes a practice, sometimes a practice will say, I'd like to have a brand new grad so I could mold them exactly how I want to, which has some merit. But if you need to teach to someone how to toast bread, that is a very, very diff different experience than somebody who knows how to make uh, a hoagie from one of the places in the Italian market. So yeah. while sometimes dentists will say, well, if I hire someone experienced, they're going to have their own ways of doing it. Those come with pros and cons. And I think practice sure. owners just have to really embrace that. It's your personality type. You want to mold someone to start with the toasting of the bread. That's a whole energy that's different than someone who has experience that may be the right fit for you. But most of the time, Rob, what I found is when the, when the time comes for a solo general dentist to hire an associate, it's because they want some relief. And they mm -hmm. want some, I want to go away and feel that the practice is taken care of. And mm -hmm. they want some, if I can have this person check my hygiene patients. So while we're in it, you know, we might as well just call it out as it is because it's happened recently. Someone asked me, hey, Paul, all these practices want experience before they hire me. How do I get experience if no one's willing to give me experience? Right. And what'd you say? I said it's a really, <laughs> really challenging scenario. That's why I'm such a fan of GPRs and AGDs yeah, yeah. because they have that, but there aren't enough programs for everyone to go to it. And I say, 
the more options you give yourself, the better. Uh, being geographically flexible is important. As someone who runs Dennis Job Connect, I will share with you, Rob, there are practice owners right now in this moment on Dennis Job Connect that would take a brand new grad tomorrow. And the reason they would is a brand new grad is a licensed dentist and they'll deal with the next step yeah. because they're so desperate for help. But that brand new grad who's listening, you know, that might be required, might require you to move to an area that you might not have thought of. So, you know, the matching up of where new grads are most accepted and where they're needed may be in conflict at times. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great point. And kind of you know, moving on from like a similar subject with that, um, this is somebody I think actually misunderstood the question, but they raised a good question yeah. by saying this, is you know one of the questions that they ask people, and it's really important for them, and, and I will tell you, this is not Paul or Jeff Goodman that, <laughs> yeah. that, that asked this question, uh, did you attend a residency program? Yeah. You know, and I think, obviously, you know, if you've done a GPR or an AGD, you have a higher level of experience right. clinically, and um, it's something that you know uh, an employer should think about if your goal or your expectation is that you're not going to be sure. as hands-on in involvement. Then you, you have to hire somebody that has the experience from somewhere. And I think, Rob, we have had some early episodes on this. I want to bring this up because you may think of it. Last night, I went to speak to the Einstein residents for the first time, my favorite thing to do with an amazing periodontist, Steve Brown. And we were talking about the situation and specialists tend to be a bit happier. Oftentimes they make more money and they get along better. And I think this is the reason. When you go to a residency program, you're used to this F word, feedback. So you are used to having bigger, stronger dentists give you feedback on this wasn't right the way you did it. Let's make it better. Oftentimes, Rob, in the dental school world, it's such a crazy place. You just try to get out of there. You get so many mixed messages. And then when you're a practice owner who's been doing it for 20 years and someone hasn't done a residency, they're not used to that feedback. The GPR AGD, it's a year of feedback. You're yeah. going to get feedback on what you do right and what you don't do right. And I think it gives you some both thick skin and also like, hey, maybe there's more than one way to do some of these things. So I think that's why practice owners value residencies. And I know I do, and I did one, and I am a big fan of them because you get to spend a whole year in a supportive environment, testing your limits, having support, and getting many dentists to tell you, hey, Rob, that's not exactly the right way to do it, but let's figure out the right way together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. Look, and it's uh, that's the thing when, when you're a professional, the the learning and the uh, never stops, right? right. Yeah, that's why we practice our professions, you know. And and you have to continue to have the reps and 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 and, and do it to be able to get better at it. And I also want to share in this moment because you know some of these students, there are some magical dental schools that do function like residencies because they don't have specialty programs, you know, in the Midwest. But I just Mid want to share, you know, yeah. practice owners. One of my it's Creighton, one of Midwestern. Uh, just really ask good questions. The person, this is a practice on our episode, ask really good questions. Yeah. How many times did you do these procedures? Who gave you the feedback? Right. I still believe a residency program benefits everyone, but before we get any angry emails saying, not, not every dental school is like that. It just is a tale as old as time for dentists that the dental school does not really prepare you to function in the real world. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> true. And, and Midwestern's great. I mean, the only thing with Midwestern, I would say, in this context is so many of those people are, are ready to be practicing. Yes, right. They, they believe that they're, their, not, yeah, exactly. they're not really in the associate yeah. uh, job market, unfortunately. But uh, it would seem like it would make sense for there to be more schools that prepare uh, dental students the way yeah, uh, that I they agree. do there. So, uh you know, another question, uh, which was a concern question, you know, what is a concern you have about hiring a dental associate is, 
uh, again, similar theme, right? Yeah. Uh, having to redo their work when they leave, yeah. you know, for free, as this person said. So, uh, you know, I to me, Paul, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. But uh, some of this is, I think, a product or could be a product of not properly supervising these people. I mean, I'm, I'm, like everybody does make mistakes, yeah. but are you talking about correcting a few mistakes or did you as a practice owner, if you've completely checked out for six months and haven't really supervised right. this person exactly. to see that they're not doing a very good job, then you may have a whole lot of work to do for free. If there's an, I'll say this in the kindest but firmest way, if there's a lot of work to be redone for free, it's the fault of the practice owner because somehow there was a lot of work getting done that nobody was checking on throughout of it. Uh -huh. And I always say there's, th th you know, there, when someone says, how long will this last? There's three ways, how well it was done, how well the patient takes care of it and luck. And even when my most amazing dad in one of the most, you know, devastating experiences of my life uh, passed away suddenly, he was doing work constantly and we had to redo some of it, right? And that right. was someone who was a dentist who was for 41 years. So I just wanna share that work and things need to be redone for a variety of reasons, bad mm -hmm. luck, bad timing. But when you have newer practitioners in your practice, A, uh, how did they get to do all of this work without you kind of checking in on it? That wouldn't happen in our practice with Paul and Jeff Goodman. We're we're not standing over the shoulder of our associates saying right. prep fast this. We're just kind of present and paying attention to yeah. what's happening. Right. Um, secondly, you're the practice owner and redoing the work is on you. Many times, I don't know if you've dealt with this, Rob, I get messages. So she's saying, I have to redo the work of the old associate for free because you know the practice owner says I'm the I'm they're my patient but the last crown was done by the associate I find that to be unfair I think totally. either, either the practice owner should redo it for free in their uh -huh. schedule or right. you know and I don't know we we didn't talk about this in either way exactly but you know Pennington Dental we have something called a special compensation line for our associates uh -huh. that means somehow you did my aunt's night guard and it was like at a discounted fee, get special compensation, right? Uh -huh. You had to redo this crown that lasted three years, done by some other dentist. We didn't charge the patient, but we're gonna pay you $250 instead of maybe the $400. So I think redoing work for free after they leave, pay attention while your associate's there. Take it upon yourself. I don't know. I, I mean, I always say, Rob, like I'm annoyed every day, so how much being a little more annoyed is, right? Like if I had to redo an implant crown for my associate, I wouldn't be super excited, but I would just do it, right? Yeah, so right. practice owners just do it's it. Cost of doing business, yeah. right? And then, uh, you know, it's just a, I think it's a fear that's not well-founded for people who've had a lot of associates who onboard them well. Uh -huh. It may be well-founded, like you said, where they say, hey, associate, you work on Thursdays and Fridays, I'll be golfing the whole time. Yeah, right. You don't check in much. Yeah. A year goes by, the associate leaves and buys their own practice, and yeah. then now you see patients you've never seen before. Right. Yeah. You know, so I think that that's my my message there is to onboard well, pay attention well, and sometimes just realize it's the circle of dental life where you just stuff needs to be redone. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, and from a contractual standpoint, you can put provisions yeah. in an in an agreement that allows the practice to recoup the costs yeah. of uh of having to to do rework. That becomes a trickier thing in an associate agreement for the yeah. obvious reasons. I mean, ultimately, you're going to find out after the person's no longer working right. there. It's very difficult to chase after them and say, hey, guess what? You owe me 700 bucks, right. right? I mean, that type of mechanism works better in the practice transition world where you're saying, hey, I'm buying this practice for a million dollars and I had to rework, do right. all this, this rework and you didn't come in to fix it yourself and I had to pay somebody. In that context, it's a little more. 
uh, reasonable to, to see that, but that's a tough provision to actually oh, sure. enforce there. And also for, um, you know, Dennis here, we're just a weird breed, Rob. It's like, also, maybe the work shouldn't be redone for free at all. Like, I mean, just kind of look at it with each by case basis. Maybe you have a patient who's really rough on their teeth. It lasted yeah. for a period of time. Maybe you just have to have a an uncomfortable conversation with the patient, and it shouldn't be redone redone for free. You yeah. Know? So it's it's also just kind of having good office systems as to how you evaluate how things are redone for no cost, for the lab cost, for partial cost, or full cost. Yeah. No, that's a great point. And obviously, you're making that decision based on. Wanting to maintain the goodwill right. with that patient and keep them a patient, and but you know I think a lot of this really does go to magnitude. Yeah, you know, and 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 sometimes people worry that well, what if I have to redo a couple of cases after I buy this practice? Like whatever. Yeah, you know, just, like well, it's easy for me to say, right? But yeah. still, you know, it's just it's just part of the process of taking over a business, and you know, right? But even this in the associate world, I mean, if you're talking about having to redo. You know, a handful of cases right. or a dozen cases over the course of a six-month period or a year, eh, not a big deal. If you're talking about doing, you know, six to ten a week, that starts to become a right. bigger problem. So I think a lot of this really goes to magnitude too. As you said, things are going to go wrong. You right. know? And as a business owner, you may make the business decision to do certain retreatment for free. Uh, but I think really where the rubber hits the road with this is how much are we talking of about? Of course. And I you think, know? you know, it goes back to those classic cliches of having your cake and eating it too. I never understood that one. But like, if you never want to have redo the work, don't have an associate, right? Yeah. But like, if you want the benefits of the associate, here's some of the risks of having another dentist in your office. To yeah. me, they're well worth it. I wouldn't yeah. want, we have some, you see people on this list that we know who I encourage to get associates. They never want to go back to not having an associate, Rob. Mm -hmm. You say to a practice owner, do you want to go back to having not having an associate working with you? Overwhelmingly, most of them will say, no, I do not, right? I have someone who can cover me for vacations. I have someone who could be out when I'm out sick. But if you don't want to be involved with this, then you're better just practicing on your own. Yeah. And, and that's okay. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that either. You know, but by the same token, don't expect that you're going to have a, a $4 million grossing practice on your own. Well, right. I guess you could be, you lose your mind. But um, but that it all goes to just being practical, having realistic expectations, yeah. right? You know, and, realistic and expectations is the best way to put it. Um, so uh, this is uh, under the, the heading of uh, sharing a, a story that uh, where you hired an associate and things didn't go well. Uh, we had someone say, I had an associate who was supposed to take over the retiring dentist patients, but then the retiring dentist wouldn't relinquish control, <laughs> yeah. right? So uh, speak to that a little bit. I Paul. think I've seen this more often, you know, than not. And, you know, uh, not more often than not, but in these times where the retiring dentist wants to scale back and then the practice owner says, okay, I'll get an associate to fill in the gaps. So let's just say someone buys a practice, the retiring dentist is there with him four days a week. Retiring dentist says, I'll stay for two days a week. Well, the practice owner in the mill says, I'll hire someone two days a week to fill that in, which is a good plan, right? Sure. But, on paper. Yeah, right. on paper. But patients, you know, it's very interesting. You know, I'll use my three-year-old. If my wife Mary's in the room, she's mm. going to pay most attention to Mary. So if the retiring dentist is in the room, right. they might not want to see mm -hmm. that new new dentist unless the retiring dentist is like Mary says, go and hang with Rob, right? Rob is our friend. Go spend right. time with Rob, Drew, right? And she has to really, you know, basically gently guide her to utilize the new dentist. I think I've seen retiring dentists unwilling to have these conflict-oriented conversations 
or sometimes ego getting in the way. And this really stinks for the new associate, Rob, yeah. because they've been hired. And now not only do they not have enough patients, they now kind of feel like this odd dentist out yeah, that nobody yeah. wants to see. So I think it really takes authentic discussions with the retiring dentist where you firmly say, once your schedule filled, you're gonna, all the other patients are gonna go to this dentist over here. Half your hygiene checks gonna be done by this new dentist. And this is gonna be the way it is retiring dentist. Yeah. Cause you know, you've seen this and you probably can, you know, you do so many transitions. It doesn't matter whose name's on the door. The dentist who's been there the totally. longest has the most gravitas, if you want to call it, or the Absolutely. most pull with both the team and the patients. Well, that's so, a conversation we have a lot. Yeah. You know, people say, well, I want them to stay on for as long as possible. What are they going to do? Right. Well, I just want them to uh, like answer questions about what, you yeah. know, and like just, just kind of just going to stand over in the corner, you right. know, like behind the the uh, the front desk person and just deliver yeah. and like like that that doesn't really make sense and so what I say with a lot of this is again on, you know having realistic expectations putting people in the place where you actually can expect for them to to perform and thrive if you have a retiring dentist you know who is not able or willing to kind of back off then maybe you have to make that decision for yeah. them you know oh, and, for sure and and look at a certain level. Uh, if they're there, they want to be treating patients. Yeah. They want to make money and do something. They're not there to to say, I'd like to introduce you to this person, which I think is a sort of a, right. another popular misconception that they're just going to introduce all the patients. For what? For free? Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. like they, they got up. They left their house. They went to work that day. They want to work. Yes. So if you have them in the office two or three days a week, guess what? probably anticipate that they're going to want and also, to work. They, I use this, you were saying this, this is really good value. It's like, uh, I've never experienced this personally, but I've kind of heard that like, oh, you know, someone invites their mother-in-law over and they rearrange their kitchen because like they have nothing to do, right? Yeah, and right. like when these dentists, I know them well, mm -hmm. if you've been working on patients your whole life and someone asks you to be in an office to do nothing, you're going to cause trouble, right? So right. it's like, you're going to like, you know, <laughs> you're going to rearrange that kitchen. So yeah. like either get them stuff to do or just don't have them there in that day and just have these, you know, I believe Robin is more do all of this stuff. It's like, you got to have conflict, you know, uncomfortable conversations and, you know, founded in respect with these yeah. people and with both retiring dentist and the new associate, but at practice owner who asked this, Make sure allegiance is with this new associate totally. because the new associate is the one who represents your future, future days yeah. off, yeah. your future time here. Yeah. And the practice owner has gotten his money for the practice. Right. Might be very helpful, but just, you know, get him in their own lane. And, you know, I, I, that's, but that was a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a subject that comes up you know, pretty frequently. Um, another uh, sort of bad, bad story, in quotes, uh, hired an associate who is afraid of dentistry. Uh, he would refer single unit crowns out, ruined a new practice. Uh, it, it's like super sad to hear this one, Rob. And I think it's really uh, unfair what dental school, dental schools are not held accountable for consistent clinical experiences for the people that they're charging the same money to. Mm -hmm. And that really is a problem that the profession, you know, people don't like when I call it an industry, but I you know it's a you know, profession slash industry mm -hmm. really needs to embrace because you know these grads that come, their clinical experience may be all over the proverbial map. And then you're in a private practice world and it's, you know, this is just sad to hear. I think one of the things you have to do is check in on their clinical confidence before you do hire them. Mm -hmm. This may speak to Rob to that 90 day, and I know we're gonna get to this as we wrap up, you know, this 90 day I know, probationary period always sounds kind of mean, but mm -hmm. you know, 
test out period. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you really have to dig in as a practice owner. I think you would know this as a, as a seasoned lawyer and ask questions about the clinical procedures to see where their confidence level's at, right? right. I could say something like, if you were gonna do crowns on the upper left, on teeth 14 and 15, on a 50-year-old, how much time would you need for that procedure? And I know in a second, when they answer this question, of their confidence level. And I know we're gonna get to next, sometimes overconfidence is a, just as big a problem as being not enough confident. Right. But in situations like that, sometimes parting ways, sometimes encouraging someone to go back to take more CE, sometimes encouraging someone to take a residency program. These are some of the tough conversations where you really can't have an associate mess up your private business because you've got a lot of people that are counting on you. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, absolutely, there's too much riding on it. Um, so and that, that brings us to, to the final <laughs> question, you know, is, you know, when is it time to pull the plug on a situation? You know, and like, when do you have to let somebody go in that yeah. in that situation? And I think it, it depends on what they're doing or not doing. You know, yeah. I think there's sort of, there's clinical issues. Right. Uh, then there's uh, probably what we consider, you know, sort of, uh, uh, inability to get along with others or, uh, you know, an inability or unwillingness to work, yeah. you know, and, and so some of these things, there's different, some of them are more fixable than others. I mean, I feel like in that situation, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, that what's the expression, you know, hire slow, fire fast, right. um, sometimes, right. right? I mean, I think if you, can if you have gone and spent a lot of time, invested a lot of time and energy in training or mentoring somebody, spending a little bit more time right. to try to fix whatever the problem is before you send them on their way is probably another For sure. good investment of your time. You know, I'm like, on board with that totally. I mean, I, 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 you know, they always say it's not you, it's me. I always want it to be me, right? I always want to say as the practice owner. What could I, is it impossible for me to train this person up? Is it impossible? So I will be very patient and go that extra mile. Fortunately, I've never, I've never had this situation personally happen, so I can't mm -hmm. speak to it personally, but I could see where, you know, you have to set really objective expectations, you know, for people, you know, it's like, hey, go and exercise more and be, be more fit. That's not useful. Go and do 30 pushups and walk two miles every day. Well, that I can do. So I think a lot of times dentists do more feelings and facts right. and they, uh, don't really evaluate associates properly. Also, mm -hmm. we've talked a lot about HR issues and your associates employee too. Yeah. So, you know, I know everyone like, you know, I don't want this podcast to turn to two more minutes to two more hours, but you know, the whole concept of at will employee, <laughs> ahead, at will employee you know, people say it's at will, I can just do whatever I want. Yeah. I go, yeah, but you know, my sense is you want to, when you want to, if you're going to terminate an employment, to me, that's very serious mm -hmm. on any level. Especially for it's poignant, right? Mm -hmm. So make sure that you've strived your best to, to train the person. Put all of your documentation together, right? Mm -hmm. Where they're not meeting these expectations. Because I've, I hear it from both sides, both associates and owners, whether it's through my Facebook messages, whether it's through phone calls. And I can tell that they are not communicating well with each other. Right. But when it is time to let them go, I think you have to, you know, look at someone and do it the way you would want it done for you in a way that's, you know, not sugarcoating it and not saying that they're, you know, really be objective. And it's a very difficult uh, transition or transition in practice to let an associate go. But holding on too long, I don't know if you've seen this within your clients, that can be just as big a problem mm -hmm. because it can 
harm the culture of the practice too. Totally. But, you know, so much, again, it depends on what the issue is, you know, and if it's a fixable issue or a fixable problem, then trying to fix it becomes part of the process to terminate them. You know, this is, as you said, these are the problems. Yeah. This is what you need to do differently. The, you know, what resources right. can I provide to you to allow you to succeed, you know? And, and if you have, go through that process, you know, and, and, and a lot of times it'll work, right? You know, yeah. like it, this is, you know, these are, it's a wake up call to the, to the associate right. or the associate didn't know how to solve the problem right. or didn't have the right resources or needed a uh, different CE or whatever it may be for them to be able to get through this. So, I mean, if you, you lay all that out, you've given them the action plan to succeed yeah. you know to because again especially in in today's world you don't want to be firing people right you know like it's too hard to find it's hard to replace them and right? it, it's a especially with associates you know they're also become embedded in seeing the patients and the team and so try to get get a system together where you could get them to be on board and i think also if that happens to you and i'll say this in an authentic way you really got to look at your hiring skills as a practice owner mm -hmm. because something you may have missed along the way in hiring that person that, you know, whether it was having them observe at the practice things we've talked about, asking them good questions, you know, um, talking to them on a regular basis about some of these things. Sometimes you know, people, yeah. yeah, sometimes people show up on day 89 of 90 days saying, we don't like you anymore here, you know? So, yeah, right. you know, I think it's, it's a really good, good practice owner thing to think about that just kind of shows the value and importance of all the onboarding things we've talked about. Well, onboarding and then the mentorship right. and the process, because it doesn't, like, all these things that we're talking about, as I hear myself say it, like these are the things that you need to do. Uh, this, these are the problems and this is what you need to do to correct them. That's a conversation that could be had in the first week, the first right. month, and should be an ongoing conversation until you get to the point where, okay, we've talked about this whatever, five times, 10 times that you're not doing this right and this yeah. is what you need to do. Now, you know, obviously you can't do it right. for whatever reason. And then at least you know that you've tried, you've exhausted sure. your, your efforts, you've given as much possible time uh, to, to allow it to, to, to improve. And you know, you've tried, even for your own selfish purposes, uh, you've tried to salvage the situation yeah. so that all that time that you did spend was uh, not for not, but uh, at the end of the day, sometimes it's just not meant to be. Yeah. And as you said, um, you know, just because someone's not a good fit for you doesn't mean they're not a good fit for anyone. But you know, it's just you. you I think sometimes that's a really you know just kind of wrap up practice. You have a lot riding on your shoulders of the team, the patients, things like that. And sometimes you just you know, you know, I I have had challenges with this, not necessarily with associates, but other team members. You can't have a team member that's not contributing to the success of the organization, the rest of the team members are going to notice. Well put. <laughs> and let's uh, leave it on that note. Perfect. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you enjoy our podcast, uh, you know, go on to uh, Apple or Google and give us a great review. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And good to see you, Paul. Good seeing you, Rob. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on the dentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. 
Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.